Our reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. Hear these words. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the living Lord. Amen. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, team. Just great work this morning. Open your Bibles if you're with us in the house or if you are joining us uh, online, either YouTube or Facebook Live. Uh, We welcome you. So glad uh, to have you. And then uh, many of you join later. You're working right now or traveling, and you will uh, jump in later. And so uh, we welcome you if you're uh, joining later. You're watching this uh, uh, down the the way a bit. Uh, It's just so glad to have you with us in whatever way you are. So we continue in Philippians in this series, and as we do, uh, we come to uh, an interesting place in Paul's letter where he makes a a statement that has become quite famous, and uh, we'll look at that statement in uh, just a moment. Um, The the place where Paul gets is he says he wins either way. Uh, He wins regardless, and there are very few prospects in life where you can't lose. But uh, our daughter played uh, college volleyball. Uh, I see Doug Gooch in this service. Uh, His daughter Megan played with Hannah. And they played uh, uh, college volleyball together for four years. Two of those years were at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory. And amazing coaches there, Shane uh, 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 and Shannon, uh, they they were just fantastic uh, coaches. uh, But the... uh, uh, beyond that, uh, the great thing about it was we went two seasons and we did not lose a game in regular season at all. Uh, we got used to winning. It was fun. Uh, winning is fun, isn't it? Uh, just a whole lot more fun than losing. And so we would show up and, and, and we won. As a matter of fact, Hannah's coach was so tough on her that certain opponents, if they scored more than a certain number of points, then Hannah's team had rigorous running afterward because they let them score a certain number of points on them. They were just that good. And so we finish the regular season. We go to conference playoffs. We win. We go to the national tournament, which is in Toledo, Ohio. And we head up there. And I remember that first game, we met some giants. Like, I didn't realize women grew that tall in mass, but they do. And they met us on the other side of the net, and we lost. And I still remember the devastating feeling of defeat because we had not tasted it all season. And then we taste it next season, win every single game, get to the nationals, and we lost first round again. 
You see, no, no place in life do you win always. But Paul says here, I rejoice because I win. He's going to win regardless. And so the question is, how can Paul, who sits in prison, say, number one, I can rejoice, and number two, I'm going to win this. And so some of you this morning are sitting in your own prison of sorts, your own situations, and I'm going to ask you to rejoice. I'm going to ask you to do what Paul does, and you say, well, how? How will we go about this? And we discover here this morning that Paul rejoices, and you can rejoice too, because first of all, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Notice what he writes, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, I don't want you to miss the first line. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, Notice the partnership. The Philippian believers partnered with Paul in two primary ways. One, they prayed for him, and two, they gave to his mission financially. The first member of the church at Philippi was a well-to-do businesswoman named Lydia. And so these were, there were some well-to-do and some common and, and poor people, multiple nationalities in this Philippian church, and they partnered with Paul in two ways. They prayed and they gave. And notice what he says. He says, the prayers of the people and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Your prayers matter. That's what we discover from this, that your praying matters. But our prayers alone without the help of the Spirit of Christ will not suffice. God does not need our help, but he invites us to join him in his work. That blows my mind. He doesn't need our help but he invites us to join him in his work. God needs nothing at all. He needs absolutely nothing at all, but he says to us, here, be a part. When uh, Hannah was small, when Trent was small, I would work on certain projects, and they wanted to help. Put that in quotes, right? They wanted to help. Each of them had their own little tools, you know, the the ones that are small that fit their hand and they won't drive a nail or anything that could drive you slap crazy, but that's about it. And so what would they do is they would show up and I'm working on whatever it is I'm working on and they're helping. And when we would get done, they would look at the project as if they helped. Now you and I both know they didn't help. They really didn't, but they thought they helped, right? You've done that too. Well, that is the reality, no lie, at the end of this sermon. If I come to the end of this sermon and say, Lord, look what I did. 
No, 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 no. If anything happens as a result of this sermon, it will be the work of Christ. It will be the help of the Spirit who takes the Word of God, plants it deep into your heart, which begins to give life, which begins to raise you up to walk in brand new life. I can't preach. Uh, these folks can't sing. We can't pray enough. We can't do enough. As the old song says, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. And so we must, we must have his help. But Paul's statement is a bit problematic because we know the rest of the story. He says, you're going to pray, the Spirit's going to work, and I'm going to be delivered. Well, Paul, how is that going to happen? You and I know that Paul wasn't delivered, that he stood before Caesar, and that he died. So if Paul is going to be delivered, if he says it with emphatic uh, certainty, I will be delivered, the question is, what is the deliverance? Look at this verse. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So I want to introduce you, some of you, for the first time ever in your life to a concept and to an idea that is as old as time itself, that is as old as Scripture itself that informs Paul's thinking when he comes to this place. I love looking around the room this morning and seeing so many young people. I love the young people who are on our stage. I love the fact that in the crazy world in which we live, there is a God who is raising up young women and men to go into the world and to make sense of the craziness and to be the change that we need and to spread the gospel. But look at this. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. That is the win. In order to win a game, you must define the win. And Paul defines the win, and he says, the win is not my deliverance out of prison. It is as I sit here, Christ, will you be honored in my body? Will you be honored with this? Well, what does that mean? That means with a voice that can speak, with ears that can hear, with a heart that can feel, with a mind that can think, with feet that can walk, Will you be honored with this? Paul deliberately lives not for himself, but for the gospel going to those around him. I think of folks in our church and folks who are watching and you are on the front lines, meaning you're going into a skilled nursing facility you're going into a hospital, you are an EMT worker, and or in a couple of weeks, you're going to be walking into a classroom. I encourage you, I encourage you as you do so, that your prayer be, oh God, as this patient sees me, as this patient interacts with me, oh God, I pray as they do, that I will glorify you with my body today. 
as your little students walk into your classroom and they sit down and return to whatever normal seat that may be, I pray that as they look up at your face, they see a smile. They hear encouraging words. I pray, we said in staff meeting on Monday, our teachers have never been on the mission field more than you will be in two or three weeks. You will not only teach, but you will bring in peace, and you will bring in grace, and you will bring in some sense of stability to some kids' lives who've been wrecked and rocked now since March. And I just think as you do, I think of all of our folks who are on the front lines. I'm on a call three times, four times a week with all of these folks on the front line. Wow, God has positioned you in a place to say, oh Lord, oh Lord, may my body honor you today. May my words, may my thoughts, may, may, may the look on my face bring you glory. Now, Paul was steeped in the Old Testament, and he did what's good for all of us to do. History is such a good teacher. He leans back on an Old Testament character. Oh, wow, he's a hero of the Old Testament. His name is Job. And he goes all the way back to Job, and he quotes commentators believe Job 13, 16, but it is Job 13, 15 that you and I are most familiar with. And so I'll include both. Verse 15, Job, saying of God, Though he slay me, I will hope or I will trust him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. Now, that's a real relationship with God, isn't it? God, if you kill me, I'm yours. But until you do, we've got to talk about some things. This will be my salvation that the godless shall not come before him. It is this quote right here. This will be my salvation that Paul quotes deliverance, salvation, what is it? Uh, Job says that the godless shall not become before him. Well, you say, well, why is that salvation to Job? Well, he's got three friends who are horrible, and they're trying to tell him all the reasons, and it's all Job's fault. And they go to the three philosophies of the day, and they lay out every one of those philosophies, and they say, Job, it's your fault. Job is bereft of comfort and strength. But he says, I have this one thing. I know the godless shall not become before him. And Job was described at the beginning of the the work that is by his name as an upright man who feared God in every way. So what was Job's deliverance? He will stand before God one day. He will see God face to face. What is Paul's deliverance? We'll get to that in a moment. So we get back to Paul. He says, regardless of what happens in my life, I will trust his deliverance. Why? Why could Paul do that? Because God had ultimately delivered him through the death of his son, Jesus, on the cross. There was ultimate deliverance through Jesus on the cross, and if there's ultimate deliverance through Jesus on the cross, then there will be temporary deliverance today. As a matter of fact, Paul penned these own words, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. We sinners get to become the righteousness of God. God made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The whole song that Molly just led us in, I am who you say I am, is that. We we who are sinners become righteous because of Jesus. Now I want you to do something, put your name in it, 
You'll see it on the screen, and it says, for blank sake. And, <coughs> excuse me, when we get there, just put your name. Say your name out loud. Here we go. For, all right, that's okay. I guess through masks, right? So let's try it again. For, for he made him, that would be you or me, to be, or Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, who? might become the righteousness of God. That's you. That's me. Paul sitting in prison knows that. And if God will take care of your eternal problem, guess what? He's got your temporary ones too. If he will take care of the biggest thing you've ever faced in your life, of the greatest need, the smaller needs, he will too. Paul lived to declare that the justice of God was satisfied in Jesus So what does he say? If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. To remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He's writing to these these Philippian believers whom he loves dearly. And he says, if I am to live in the flesh, wow, that's fruitful labor for me. I get to see you grow. I get to see you mature. I get to see you flourish. To live is Christ. And then secondly... To die is gain. You can rejoice because to live is Christ. You can rejoice because to die is gain. Look at what he says, verse 23. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul's language is vivid and personal here. He is hard-pressed. It means exactly how it's translated. He is conflicted, and he says, my desire. And that word desire means craving. Paul craved. He longed to be with Jesus. You might say Paul was homesick. He was homesick. If you've ever been homesick, then you know how Paul feels. I remember the first mission trip, international, I ever went on. Our son Trent was only six months old, and I cried all the way to the airport. Why? I was just homesick. It would be the first time I would be so far away from that young man. I remember 2009 when we went to Senegal, Africa for the first time. And that seems not so long ago, but then in some ways so long ago, so long ago that At that point, when you landed, or when you took off from New York, there was no contact with home. There was no way in Senegal for us to message in any way, Wi-Fi, whatever. We couldn't message back home. We knew that. We knew that once we took off in New York for those 10 or so days, there would be zero contact with anyone back here. So I remember leaving, leaving my family and I remember the feeling of, of, of that plane flying out and those last words to Wendy uh, off my cell phone, turning it off and knowing that's it now for about 10 days. And I remember oh, how I longed for her. She, as she always does, has, had written me a note for every single day. Every morning I would wake up with this anticipation of opening that note and reading that note from her. Well, something happened along about the middle of the week. We had no clue. We would go to this gracious doctor's home. He uh, was trained, brilliant doctor in the United States, went to uh, Senegal to serve there, and he had three children back in the States. It was a total surprise. None of us knew that we would uh, have dinner with him, and after dinner, we would go to this phone, and we would be able to call. He had some way that he could call, and it was like almost free. 
And we stood in line. And while I'm standing in line, do you know what's going through my mind? Oh, I hope she answers. Oh, I hope she answers. Oh, I hope she answers. Why? I was longing for her. I was just longing to hear her voice, just to hear her words. Just It had been a few days. I just wanted to hear her words, hear her voice. Uh, that is what Paul says. He says, I long, I long to be with Jesus. I long to see his face. Death for him was not near as much of what he was leaving behind as what he was gaining. He longed to see the face of Jesus. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, if you could just see this, Philippians 1, 21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In the Greek, it goes just like this, to live, Christ, to die, gain. That's all it is. It would have struck Paul's readers right in the face. It would have been so abrupt. Paul says to live, Christ, to die, gain, just like that. It's a remarkable statement of conviction. You see, when Paul was confronted on the Damascus Road, he was going to hand an arrest papers for, for Christians, and he was arrested by Christ. And when Christ arrested him and said, Saul, Saul, why? Are you persecuting me? And he fell to his feet. He was struck blind. And he was converted that day and gained a new name. His name was Paul. He and Jesus became just like that. You see, Paul was so heavenly minded that he was earthly good. He was so heavenly minded that he was earthly good. Though he was conflicted, he was convinced, though, that he would return to Philippi. Notice his words, convinced of this, uh, 25 and 26. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Progress is the word. That word progress is the word advanced from last week. That word advance from last week is P-R-O-K-O-P-E in the Greek. You may remember from last week that P-R-O-K-O-P-E is advance, but P-R-O-S-K-O-P-E is hinder. And it strikes me as I read this that there's one tiny letter between the word advance and the word hinder. There's one tiny letter between it, but there's a very fine line between me advancing the gospel and me hindering the gospel. It's just a very fine line. Oh, I so want to advance the gospel. And Paul says that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, what does he want? He wants progress and joy in the faith. I want to pause there for a moment because... uh, That word joy is significant. Paul started out by saying, I will rejoice. And now he says, I want you to be joyful in the faith. And I've shared this with most of you and people watching online. Most of you know my story, but I grew up in church and we couldn't laugh in church. You just didn't do that. It was not the thing to do. You, you may laugh elsewhere, but not in the church house. You did not laugh, and my mom watches uh, every Sunday, so mom could attest to this. Uh, we just didn't laugh in church. 
at all. And so I did not grow up with, grow up with a joy-filled faith. I, I grew up afraid of God. And some of you perhaps did too. You, I just grew up afraid that, that he was waiting to pounce on me. Just the very next mistake I made, bam, he's going to come down on me. And that's how I grew up and that's how I lived for years. And no lie, I would sneak and listen to 106.9 The Light. And Carol wasn't even on then, which I could understand why people should sneak and listen now because it's Carol Davis, but she wasn't, I mean, she was little. And so I would sneak and listen to 106.9 The Light because, you know, we just weren't supposed to listen to that. And I would hear Chuck Swindoll preach, and he laughed. He would laugh a lot, and I would go, wow, he laughs. Like, while he's preaching, and no lie, I remember the only time, and I'm kind of surprised I'm saying this on camera, but we're going for it. I remember the only time that laughter happened in my church. And, and there was a gentleman who stood up to testify, and he got a little carried away. And so he stood up. He worked in the cafeteria at the high school, and he stood up to testify, and he said, I just need all your prayers, and everybody's leaning in listening. And he said, because I work in the cafeteria at the high school, and those girls come through there, and you could put a dime in their hip pocket and tell if it's on heads or tails. <laughs> well, when he said that, my dad just went over the pulpit laughing. It was so severe we didn't have church. No lie. Dad laughed so hard. Well, you can't laugh and do church. So he dismissed us. We just went home. I still remember that. Great service. Um, remember that to this day. Paul wants them to have joy in the faith. There is a joy. Is there not church in following Jesus? Is there not a joy? And could I say something to you this morning? In a world gone mad, in a world gone crazy, what if you happen to go through the drive-thru and smile? <gasps> Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if you step into your classroom, if you step into your doctor's office, if you step up to your post and your people walk in and there's a smile on your face and there's joy in your heart and there's a bounce in your step because Christ who is in you is the hope of glory and he who is in you is working his way out so that there is an exuberance to your life that is so contagious. Others around look at you and say, hey, the world may be going crazy, but he's not. The world may be going crazy, but she's not. And Paul said, I'm sitting here in prison. Don't mourn that. Don't weep for me. Don't be sad because of where I am. Be happy because of where I'm going. He was so thrilled that he knew Jesus and that he would soon either see Jesus face to face or he would see them face to face. Either one, he was good. Either one, he was good. He couldn't lose. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that we enjoy the greatest win-win of all. We live, others around us grow. We die. We see your face, Christ your nail-scarred hands. We put a name with a face. 
we with unveiled faces view yours unveiled. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.